Welcome to Sport and Life with Leon Wiegard and Sam Kekovich. And today's guest will be Jason Richardson, a rare history in the, at the Stall Gift. He's one of the very few that have won a major event at Stall three years in a row. And of course, you'll know him now for his media work. He'll be on our program very shortly. And I now welcome our good mate, Sam Kekovich. Hello, Sam. Yeah, good day, Leon. I'm fine, mate. I'm on top of the world, onwards and upwards. And- the yellow orb shining fairly brightly in my place over my area. All all the issues with your uh, knee operation out of the way now? Well, they're trending in the right direction, Leon. I'm not through the woods yet, but uh, every indication I'll be in my bustling best shortly. Both your fans were very interested in your well-being, that was all. Well, Mum uh, and Dad, Dad's passed away, <laughs> by the way, Leon, thank you. Oh, you've only got the one. <laughs> I only got the one, Leon. I'm the... <laughs> Now I want to put a case to you. You're a uh, you're a football man. You're a racing man. Now, uh, if football was racing, or if it was controlled by the stewards, uh, some of the clubs would be in trouble, wouldn't they? Because the Dockers are suddenly competitive. The Blues are winning games. Melbourne have come good. Uh, they were on the scrap heap for a while. Uh, now they're the pin-up boys. The Magpies. Well, what's happening there? And they could even miss the eight. So. And there are other clubs that are up and down like a fiddler's elbow. So uh, it is hard to pick. Is that the short season doing this? Leon, uh, look, how will I phrase this? I don't want you to take this personally. I know you come from a club that was uh, bereft of much success. And I can understand your conspiracy theories. But the stark no, reality, that's... my dear. <laughs> but eight, the stark eight reality, premier, my eight, friend. Sorry? Eight premierships. Eight premierships. <laughs> I'm talking about, uh, you know, in contemporary times. Well, but anyhow, look, well, 11, all that yeah. aside, what you understand, my dear friend, is over a, uh, a long period of time, which is a footy season is, there'll always be those ebbs and flows and inconsistencies in form. Injuries will play a factor. So it's very hard to put a, uh, put a definitive line on form. And, uh, you know, that, that will be the case forever and a day. But I'm sure there's... You know, you look at the season very closely, the same old suspects rise to the top at the appropriate time. Yes, that seems... Well, look at Richmond, you know, at the very start of the season, it looked as though they might have uh, dipped a bit, but uh, they're now favourites for the flag. Well, and... they are, because they're down on personnel, and a lot of clubs, even Collingwood, which is very depleted, and they... Look, if they, they don't pick themselves up very shortly, they look like missing out on the eight. But... Uh, and look at Geelong. You know, Geelong have had a a good list for a long time. Very few injuries, and you know their form's been impeccable. And uh, Melbourne have picked up in recent times as well. Albeit they played too lowly side, played a depleted Collingwood, which they massacred by fifty six points. But uh, you know, it's all about management at this time of the year. And I'm sure the clubs that have been successful would understand probably a little bit better than a lot of clubs that are striving to get there. But uh, the most important thing come September, particularly this year, is having a healthy list at the appropriate time. You, of all people, would be uh, a supporter of having characters in the game and not drummed out of the game. There's been a bit of media about uh, Mitch Robinson from uh, the Brisbane Lions in his comments about uh, the full forward from Richmond, of course. And and I, I don't know, uh, is that a beat-up or... Uh, are they trying to get rid of these characters? Uh, look, I just don't know how to categorise all that. 
you know, characters in our era, uh, Leon, you would know when, you know, we're a bit witty and, uh, you know, we, you know, there was some genuine mirth associated with a lot of their actions. These days, I'm not so sure that it's all that smart, albeit, you know, you can put it under the category of being characters, but, you know, I don't think there's anything too witty about, you know, coming out on social media and lambasting an opponent for, albeit, you know, it was, you know, an innocuous punch and it did the, did the guy no good. But I don't, I don't see how you can glean much traction out of that. And I can't see why that's, you know, very colourful and why it's even print-worthy. But that's the new world, I guess, and uh, people seem to enjoy it and people... Well, the print media love it because what what else are Juno's going to write up about? But, uh, uh, we're we're yep. doing a podcast, of course, at the moment, so we're virtually on social media, but that seems to be the issue, doesn't it? The mishandling or the misunderstanding of how powerful social media is. Oh, it is. There's no doubt about that. In fact, you know, what, what irritates me and what really annoys me is that so many of it use it as a social platform and uses a platform for their own dissemination of their toxic, you know, uh, content without, with total impunity. I'm not only talking about sporting people. I'm talking about, you know, politicians. I'm talking about general public that could say anything at any stage, make any outlandish allegation or amber claims and not even be attached to it and, and uh, deal with total impunity without having any ramification. Which is farcical, you know. They've got, you know, people got to take responsibility. Righto, Sam. Well, straight after this very short break, we'll talk to Jason Richardson. Welcome back to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wegard. Our guest today is a winner of the Stall Gift, 1993, 27 years ago, Richo. Seems a long time ago, Leon. Thanks for reminding me that. In fact, uh, Sam and I were only reminiscing uh, off-air last week. Uh, I think I had about an hour and a half sleep, and you were the first person I spoke to after I won a Stall <laughs> Gift uh, when you were doing radio, and you and the great slug uh, gave me a call. Uh, you were doing 927 and, uh, and congratulated me, mate. Great memories. I can't believe it's 27 years ago. Well, you must have been a boy, but uh, 3UZ, the thoroughbred, uh, and that was, of course, the days of, uh, well, the early days, of pioneering days of sport on radio, and now look at it, and you're part of it. It's uh, it's enormous now. And, of course, it wasn't our idea. It was an American uh, sport on radio. It was always very big over there. Yeah, I absolutely loved it, and I was a huge, uh, huge fan and always listened every morning, and it was you're right, it was the only way that we ever got any sort of an injection of uh, sporting discussion uh, on the radio. Everything else was was FM or serious talkback. So absolutely loved it. And wasn't he a character? The slug, he was the, just sensational. The, the late slug, he was, uh, he was that. And we had Scotty Palmer, of course, each day and um, a host of others. It was called The Good Sports and for those with good memories. And, uh, oh, that was good that we had you on. Were you at... Uh, stall at the time, Jason, or had you got home by then? Oh, hell no. I was in the motel room uh, about an hour <laughs> and a half after I'd arrived back from uh, oh. celebrating. I'd taken it firmly uh, in the Sam Kekovich theory of celebrations, I can assure you. Uh, 93 <laughs> was it was a big night, I tell you, on uh, Easter Monday night. So, you know, I was uh, 
I was a little dusty waking up uh, in the motel and your beautiful dulcet tones were the first that I uh, that I heard. Good to see you, Sam. Uh, you're looking well. Thank you, uh, Jason. And uh, likewise, uh, Whitlock, by the way, Jason, just for your own personal edif edification, we don't patronise here or condescend. We say it as it is, all right? <laughs> oh, future gee, okay. Reference. Now, okay, so, thing, it, so no, you were a better player than Brian then. <laughs> Okay, one thing, my good friend, uh, I read with interest. I can't understand you getting uh, how you venture into athletics when I read that you were a guitarist with a band called Born of Os Osiris. I think it is Osiris or Osiris. I don't know how you spell it. Because you normally associate music and lead guitarists and bands with sex, drugs, rock and roll. And all of a sudden, here you are becoming an elite athlete. Tell me a little bit about those days, any days. I think you've got. I think your. I think your Wikipedia's gone sideways. I can't play the guitar. Never been in a musical band, and I'm very untalented in any other area. That'd well, be the basketballer. The basketballer. <laughs> the basketballer from America. I uh, actually. I got the wrong one. I thought it was you, Sam. Oh, I, there I can, you go. I can tell you this, Sam. I looked up Jason Richardson. And then the next question under that is, what is Jason Richardson worth? And I thought, oh, that's a good question. 30, 30 million. And then it said about his basketball. Well, let me, let me say something relevant. I went down the wrong path. But, look, I did a bit of uh, professional running with a, a mutual friend of ours called John Tolman, which you know very well, Jason. Now, I can understand. Why would you, go into, why would you run professionally? Why wouldn't you run Emirate like a good wife? and strive for gold. Was money the lure or why professional athletics? Well, that's just where I started. Um, isn't it interesting, you know, it's the, it's the one thing when anyone reflects on athletics um, in Australia, if you're a sprinter, they reflect on the store gift. That, that's the great uh, penetration this event has. So I actually started, my first coach uh, was a man by the name of Chris Brown who placed third in the 1976 store gift. He was the fitness coach at De La Salle Old Boys in the A-grade amateurs footy. I was a very out-wide receiving type, highly skillful, um, but petrified uh, AFL uh, wannabe. And he Serviceable me, player. <laughs> no, <laughs> petrified. And he suggested <laughs> that I, um, I should pick up my athletics. I was actually a pretty good junior, but then I had a long time where I was just concentrating on footy. And he said... You should get back into Ats and pro running was the perfect place to start. So in my very first year, I was lucky enough under his guidance to win the 100 metres at Stall, and then that whet my appetite to concentrate on athletics, lucky enough to win the Stall gift the following year, and then the back markers the year after. And then from there, I concentrated all my efforts on running uh, in the amateurs and got a great privilege of running against Linford Christie, Carl Lewis, Ben Johnson yeah. and Michael Johnson, and uh, they've all had one thing in common, and I only saw the backside of them. I didn't see any closer. <laughs> Before I hand you over to Leon, I want to ask you one thing, because I'm very dubious about professional athletics. I know you won it off seven and a half metres, mm -hmm. but uh, the reality of professional ranks is I've known runners have run dead for years to get a mark. Now, when they get that mark, the bookies are just ravaged and savaged on the uh, the day that they open up their boards at Stall, and that's one of the great the great 
feet or the great colour, the most colourful aspect of store gift is the betting and the plungers that go on the runners who have, from total obscurity, become twos on favourites. Mm. Now, in your case, I don't know how how diligent you were or how long you worked to get your metres, to, to get your yardage, to get to seven and a half metres. I don't know how, but you must have run dead for a while. Um, it's interesting because that's actually the novice mark. So when I first, because I started in 92 um, and I won the 100 metres at stall in only my second proper race, um, the proper the novice race. handicap the novice the novice handicap was seven and a half meters. So they gave me seven and a half for the store gift the following year. Um, so therefore, it wasn't an issue of uh, in inverted commas running dead for me. I just concentrated on training and preparing. That was a good enough handicap uh, for me. I was lucky enough to be training with uh, Tim Mason and Joey Marvin, who had both run second in the uh, three leading up store gifts. So I had good people to train with. Uh, I was trialling consistently against them. Um, and I just happened to keep the seven and a half uh, that they gave me as Who's every... the back marker in that, that, that year? Who's the back marker? Dean Capabianco, a great oh, mate yeah. of mine who won the race in 1990. He was yeah. the back marker off scratch. And Sam, they put up uh, 30 to one um, with the uh, when the betting opened on the, uh, the Friday night. Um, that was quickly uh, snappled up and uh, then they started to back a guy by the name of Mark McDowell who had waited 10 years and got his handicap out to nine and a half. Um, <laughs> an old former VFA player for Geelong. Yeah, West, he was. Who, who, who'd run so many 400 metres but then they'd just been slipping up the handicap to nine and a half. Um, they backed him and then uh, we had another go. So I think my betting fluctuations were... Uh, Thirty to one into ten to one on. <laughs> oh yes, you're right. <laughs> and that's professional yeah. athletics for you, Leon. See you later. <laughs> well, uh, well, it goes back a long way. And uh, look, those days I think are pretty well controlled now, uh, Sam. But thank goodness. But um, just for the sake of the sport. But my uncle Leo Hicks was a, a good footballer. Played for Collingwood and Fitzroy, and he won the two mile at Saw way way back years ago. But it was red hot in those days, you know. They, um, you know, well, Johnny uh, Tolman, of course, was a world record holder for two mile pro. Um, so there were some funny things happening back then. But hopefully these days they're they're on top of it. But uh, Jason, I was going to ask you. You mentioned one of your coaches, but when you won the uh, gift, you were coached by Graham Goldsworthy. Do I recall that he was involved with the Sport of Kings as well? Um, well, yeah, he's been uh, involved as a, a bookmaker and also yes, a, that's a the man. Yeah, a pencil. Uh, and, and now he's actually one of the handicappers at the Victorian Athletic League. Can I just interrupt League. you for a moment, please? Uh, sorry, sure. Jason, Leon. Graham Goldsworthy was a guy from Myrtleford who played football with me. And he was a runner. Really? He was. And then he became a bookmaker. Yeah. So I knew Graham very well. We played and a school teacher. I think I think he, he, he taught it. Right. I think he taught it taught at Malvern Primary. In fact, I think he was principal at Malvern Primary uh, for a long time. And his dad, Bob Goldsworthy, had coached as well. So I think the Goldsworthy family had coached for, I reckon, about 50 years combined. And um, they'd had a number of placings in the store gift. And I was lucky uh, lucky enough to provide him with his one and only store gift winner. And it actually means as much to me the fact that I was actually able to provide him with it and his family with a gift winner because it meant so much to them. I was a 
I was a bit of a fly by the night. You know, I just flew in. I was happy to, you know, the first three times I ran at stall, I was able to win sashes, whereas people like he um, had been living their whole lives trying to trying to get a victory at stall. So it probably meant more for him than it did to me, and, and that's something that I really cherish. Have you been back to the stall? Yes, yes, you would. You're on the committee now. We'll talk to you about that in a minute or an organising panel. Um, yeah. When you go to stall, Sam, you can go to the um, – any, any day of the year, and you can watch all the videos of the various uh, years of the stall gift, running of the stall gift. It's a fantastic thing, and it's just bad luck that um, more people can't go there because it's so far away well, because at the moment you can't go anywhere. But uh, it is actually a very, very good thing to do at stall. So, and by the way, Jason, a guy called Jimmy Devine, uh, yeah. I wonder whether you were involved with uh, De La Salle or not, but Jimmy Devine uh, must have been a place getter in the stall gift in the 20s or something because well, he coached me running at the Christian Brothers in Clifton Hill. And at that time, he had one leg. Does uh, yeah. that, that name ring a bell at all? I have heard uh, the name Jimmy Devine. I don't know if it was through, uh, you know, the old school days, but um, or maybe just listening to old stories uh, yeah, from maybe. former runners. And that's, that's the other great thing about the stall gift, and we're trying to really – reconnect uh, in this new management committee. He's trying to reconnect with that generation, which I think doesn't attend the stall gift anymore. I mean, the TV ratings are fantastic each and every Easter Monday, but trying to get, you know, the Johnny Tolman era and make sure that they consistently come back to stall because they actually tell those great stories of former runners. And we see it time and time again, um, that, you know, that's the stuff that makes the legend of the event. And that's what makes young kids fall in love with it. I mean, I grew up in an era where we watched it every Easter Monday and I kept thinking to myself, you know, I love my athletics and uh, I was pretty quick. I kept thinking, gee, that looks fantastic. I'd love to do that one year. And it was through watching it and listening to the stories and the build-up that I that I fell in love with it. And that's what we've got to make sure that the kids of today get to uh, to hear all that and fall in love with it. Well, you've got, uh, you got, you got uh, George McNeil coming out next year. So that's a bit of fodder for you because he was the guy that sang yeah, uh, the, the Scottish uh, national anthem. Virtually, uh, flower, flower of Scotland. Flower of Scotland. He's a wonderful character, and uh, he wants to do a one-man show up there as well. He's very oh, good, and he's absolutely brilliant. It'll be his fiftieth uh, anniversary, fifty-year anniversary of George McNeil winning the Stall Gift. And for those that don't know the story of George McNeil, he was like a world champion, absolute class sprinter in the seventies. And desperate to win the stall gift, came out year after year and number of years they backed him to win the race. Um, he was unable. He'd made a final, but he uh, he believes that he didn't run at his absolute best when it counted most. When all the money was on, he believed he ran very tight and was defeated. And he came and at his 10th attempt to win the stall gift, think about that, he came out every year from Scotland. He set himself for the stall gift. Um, and at his 10th attempt, he finally was able to win uh, the 1981 stall gift. And it's... Uh, it's in folklore, what he, uh, the, the flower of Scotland that he sang and uh, the reaction. I think everyone in, uh, in professional athletics was ecstatic that he was able to win. Now, do you know, Sam, there's something else about George McNeil. He won the 100th running of the stall gift and he also won the 100th running of the powerhouse, uh, no, powerhouse in Powder Scotland. Hall. Powder Powder Hall, yeah. Which, which is their equivalent to the stall gift and they're the – Two richest pro racers in the in the world. Well, they were at the time. 
Yeah, they was certainly it? were. In fact, Powder Hall is a perfect example of what we in the store gift need to make sure we don't do, and that is, uh, you know, they've uh, that's a shadow of its former self now, the Powder Hall gift. George George would just be shuddering when he looks at it now, and they uh, they took away the element of um, uh, of expertise out of the event and, you know, increased the, the limit. For those that sit there and think, oh, you know, the store gift, anyone can win, the reality is that the handicap limit is 10 metres, and as Sam would know as a former um, professional runner, you, you have to have, um, if, you're, if you've got 10 metres as the limit uh, for 120 metres at stall, the race that everyone wants to win, you need to be able to break 11 seconds for the 100 metres to be able to win the race. Yep. Um, so there's a real element of quality about it. You need to be, um, you know, to win the stall gift now off middle March, you need to be running at, you know, you need to be a 10, 500 metre runner. Whereas in the Powder Hall gift, they've lifted the limit out to 30. And now they've got, you know, 60-year-olds making their way down the track, trying to make yeah. finals, and the whole thing's come, become a complete farce and everyone's lost interest. And they run it in the middle of winter. Middle of winter. It's, it's on New Year's <laughs> Day in Scotland. Imagine how warm that would be. Hey, Jason. Yeah, yeah I just want to ask Jason quickly before we take yep. that break. I've just got a nice bottle open, Leon, for their special sponsor. Uh, Mitchell, <laughs> Mitchell, you know, I think it's. I just want to touch base with Jason on uh, one of the reasons why it might have lost a little bit of its luster. Do you think John Tolman introduced the a bit like the Melbourne Cup when the internationals all arrived? John Tolman mm-hmm. introduced a bevy of uh, Americans and internationals, which really added to the uh, flavour a heck of a lot, didn't it? Couldn't agree with you more. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You think about Warren Edmondson and John Louis Ravello, Manansawa, who were able to yep. win the race. One, uh, Warren Edmondson from America and uh, Ravello from Madagascar, who was an Olympic finalist. You think about Asafa Powell came and raced, Linford Christie's race there, John Drummond, the Olympic sprinter from America's, made the final there. Um, there's so many quality athletes from overseas that have added that uh, element of eliteness to the event that is absolutely mandatory, in my opinion, to make sure we get back. And the only reason, couldn't agree with you more, we want to make sure that the uh, mainstream sports public uh, are engaged with the store gift. And the only reason why it has fallen away is purely and simply due to lack of corporate support. And that's got to be our number one mantra with the new board that's been put together to make sure that we get the corporate support behind us so that we can get the elite athletes to attend and blend in with the best of the pro runners so that we get the ultimate champion at stall. And I'll tell you what, the, the TV ratings on Channel 7 in the last three years have been magnificent leading into Geelong versus Hawthorne. So we've got to make sure we keep that. Uh, now, well, another th- let, let's just change direction of that. And good luck with that, Roll. And, and it's terrific you've taken that on, Jason. Um, they need people like you up there and they're, Look, they're a good bunch of people. You're the people from the Aths Club and uh, oh, all the community love it, but they just need some help. Uh, your wife, Kate Anderson, a dual Olympic uh, distance runner, uh, yep. gold medalist in the Commonwealth Games. That's a mar- marriage made in heaven. How about the three daughters? Are they showing any, <laughs> are they showing any speed? Well, they. it's interesting. Um, uh, yeah, she's a lot more. She was a lot more talented uh, than than I ever was. Uh, you know, winning Commonwealth gold over five thousand meters. She was Australian record holder over fifteen hundred meters and five thousand. Had the great pleasure of reigning in the Olympic Games in Sydney as well as in Atlanta. So, 
if we look at it from a um, from a breeding point of view with a horse racing uh, uh, sort of uh, lens, if you like. Uh, she, be Northern Dancer, wouldn't it? Northern Dancer out of uh, Tango Miss. <laughs> well, I thought she's sort of a let's elope Maccabi Diva type. Uh, but when you look at the stallion, I think he's putting more of a Danerich or Murphy's Blue Boy. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly Fastnet Rock compared to... Uh, Rick, uh, <laughs> but um, my young... Yeah, my, my middle daughter's... Um, she's got the speed. Um, she's a sprinter and um, she enjoys it. And our, and our youngest is... Um, she's uh, nationally ranked as a as a middle distance runner. So she sort of throws more towards the dam. Um, so get three girls and uh, trying to homeschool them here uh, in the, uh, you know, trying to push them through the, the tough streets of Malvern, hoping that they can fight through. More now, how about, uh, uh, sorry, Sam, I was going to ask about his media um, uh, because you've done a lot of radio, doing a lot of radio. And of course, better known these days because of the, uh, uh, well, the, the, the the points that television gets you to, uh, better know now on television, but uh, did you all in always intend being a media person or was that, did you fall into that? Uh, well, I fell in it probably like everyone. Um, I absolutely love it and I was obsessed as a young man. I just, you know, all I wanted to be was to be an AFL, VFL, AFL player, but um, Mad Carlton supporter, love the Blues and um, desperate to be a good footballer. The reality is uh, I wasn't. Um, but also loved every moment of um, watching the great and listening to the great footy callers and also the great Bill Collins watching and listening to racing. And um, so Bruce McAvaney was a bit of a hero of mine as well. So sort of grew up always obsessed with sport, desperate to get involved in sport and desperate to get involved in elite sport somewhere. Um, tried it in, uh, in in track and field and had three or four years uh, racing around the world and, but, you know, nowhere near talented enough to mix it with, um, you know, the, the, the Linford Christie's and the Michael Johnson's of this world. They're in a different stratosphere to me, but uh, always keen to be involved in elite sport and um, got a couple of opportunities um, to pursue media while I was also working in, in the marketing space. And, uh, and then I've just sort of tried to grab it from there and try to work really hard and uh, really enjoying um uh, in my time at Channel 7 at the moment and also at racing.com. It's, it's fantastic fun. Sam? Uh, just a quick one, Jase. In your quest to restore uh, store gifts form of greatness, you know, in that era, I recall the gifts were, you know, iconic events like Sheffield, the Bernie gift, even the mm. Perrine gift. You know, all around yeah. the country, the gifts were, you know, a part of uh, a part of the social calendar or the uh, or the uh, sporting calendar, is that going to be part of the portfolio as, a part, as opposed to just resurrecting stall, which is obviously the flagship, but all the others incorporated? Yeah, I think we really need to try to get together with the Victorian Athletic League and try to lift it all. I think you, you raise a really good point. It was more about the. It was like a carnival, wasn't it? You know, where it'd be the Maribyrnong or a gift. Oh, that was fantastic! Magnificent. Wait, wait. I was. The Wangaratta gift used to be huge under lights. Um, I mean, those events are still on, but they've lost the luster as the change in the way that uh, the you know young people consume their sport and their you know their attention levels. As we know, uh, they're very short nowadays. So we need to 
change and move with the time to make sure we're still appealing to the next generation. I think that's a big challenge, but no, you're dead right. I, I was lucky enough to win a Paran gift, and I think in the final that year there was five guys who all raced um, regularly at national level in Australia, whereas I think that's one other thing we need to attract is, you know, you think about the era that, you know, you've mentioned and we think about Dean Capabianco and Steve Brimacombe and, and uh, Josh I wonder about the Howard years at Albury. You know, I was around Bill, then, yeah. you know. Well, Bill that, I mean, Bill, was had, Bill he, was, he was a legitimate world-class runner and they were yeah. running all the time in the, in the pro circuit. Nowadays, our best 100-metre sprinters in Australia – well, the top ten in Australia last year, none of them ran at stall. Now that's oh, I that's a disaster. That's a disaster. We've got to get, you know, we've got a guy at the moment uh, that can run ten oh nine for hundred metres. He needs to be running at stall. We so don't Jason, need to be sitting, the sitting at home watching the telly. Do you think the problem lies with the respective governing bodies, or do you think it's a bigger issue that we need to take it back to Parliament and sort of change the landscape of our curriculum at schools? and the way we treat our young ones and make them more competitive and, you know, thrust them into the hurly-burly of the real world. Oh, well, I totally agree with that second thought, but I think we're never going to we're never going to win that one. And uh, the reality is, you know, when, you, when you're at primary school and you're, uh, everyone gets a ribbon for uh, when, you're, when you're running a running race and uh, then they quickly realise that the, the kid that was the fastest got the blue ribbon, so now everyone gets a bloody blue ribbon, believe it or not. Right. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to hurt the feelings of those that came forth. Well, come How on. ridiculous is that? It is just crazy times that we're living in, but political correctness has gone berserk. Um, I think the number one thing that we need to do is uh, is keep engaging with our elite athletes and say and prove to them uh, we need to get them to re-engage in, in the event and say to them, well, you know, if you can run 10.10, 10 10.10 for 100 metres, um, Dean Capabianco and Steve Brimico made stall gift finals and their per personal bests were about 10, 15. You'll be competitive and a chance to win elite prize money. And keep in mind, what I'll be saying to Athletics Australia is you've got one event and one event only that is on national television, free to air, and every year, and that is the stall gift. There's no other event, so therefore yep. you need to engage with it. You need to make sure it's your flagship. And uh, at the moment, there's no support from Athletics Australia for the stool gift, and we've got to get that back. So there's no association between Athletics Australia and pro running? Zero. Well, that's amazing. I didn't know that. Uh, well, Surely that's that, got to be fixed. Well, that's exactly right. And that's one of the first things that, uh, that I said is that we need to re-engage so that surely you would think – if you're going to have, you know, for our Olymp we've got an Olympic year next year, for our Olympic athletes that are preparing for sprints and sprint relays, they should be doing training camps in Victoria and then they all should be heading up the highway and running in the store gift. Cathy Freeman uh, won the 400 metres in the store gift in uh, 1996. Um, two months later, she's running an Olympic final. She got a silver medal behind Marie-Jose Perec and ran 48 seconds of PB. She ran nearly every year at school. You've got to yep. get these great athletes back, get them re-engaged. Now, John Wiley from the Australian Sports Commission listens to this uh, podcast, so uh, I hope he's taking notes, John. Uh, oh. We'd better get those pro guys uh, and the uh, AA people together somehow and uh, and make sure we're all on the same page. Well, well, Leon, yeah, well, it doesn't seem a hard sell, does it, really, on the, uh, you know, from looking outside? But also, as, as, 
as you know, we all know because we all understand the sporting landscape. The biggest show in town is AFL footy. Geelong plays Hawthorne every Easter Monday, and we have a unique situation where the broadcaster of the football is also the broadcaster of the store gift. And for two hours leading into Geelong versus Hawthorne on Easter Monday, the store gifts on, and then the last half an hour, Channel Seven blends from MCG back to store, store back to the MCG, promoting. The athletics, and that's the only time athletics is on free-to-air telly. It's time for Athletics Australia to say, "Well, what a perfect place to show our very best athletes um, racing against the pro runners." And I tell you what, they're all going to be on national telly, and that's going to raise the profile of our sport. It's a no-brainer. Uh, well put, Rich, uh, Jason. Yes, Sam. Sorry, Leo. I'm just going to ask Jason. On that memorable moment that will always be ensconced in that mind of yours, where you're close to breaking, I always look at the store gift, and the one thing I look is a poor bloke that's run dead, 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 finally got a mark, and then in that split second, panic and broke. And then they've dragged him back, you know, up near Hamilton. Oh, yeah, you get for those that don't know, if you, if you break, you lose a metre of your handicap, so... And then if you break a second time, you have to pick up your blocks and do the walk of shame and off you go. That's so, right. Um, yeah, you're right. Breaking uh, can be the difference between uh, success and for some people, they've waited a decade to try to win the race. Um, well, you no, I, did you ever, did you ever nah, sort of, uh, you would have anticipated because well, you're cool and collected. The last well, thing I'd, I want to know, and, the, I'd and, like the, to think. and the world at large would want to know, Richo, now, we're all involved in that volatile investment portfolio that we call the punt. Now, from in my calculations, and I know the betting, I know the ring very well, from 33 to 1 to 10's on, there's a lot, a lot of money went on. Now, I don't ask you specifically, but I know you live in a very leafy tree-lined suburb. I know you're well healed. Your daughters go to private schools. Kate drives a Lamborghini. What sort of dollars did you actually pocket? way back in those early days. Well, it's interesting because I look at it no, as very a much... I want, not a dialogue. I looked at it as a team sport. So our whole team <laughs> were able to uh, extract uh, a significant amount of money. Sam, what I loved about it, we had our last trial, if I may, uh, our last trial on the Monday before the store gift, and my coach was never really telling me how well I was going, except all I knew in my calculations is I was giving a bloke who ran second the year before, I was giving him three metres head start and going past him, yet in the stool gift, he had to give me four metres head start. And I thought, <laughs> i tell you what, you know, my maths at DLSL College are a bit simple, but I reckon I must be in this race. And then I saw brown paper bag after brown paper bag arriving from all of my training partners, giving my coach all these brown paper bags of cash because they were all going to back, but they didn't want to tell me about it because they thought I might get a little unnerved, to which I then had to mention to them that I was very fond of the volatile investment portfolio known as the punt. <laughs> but if there's going to be a bet, I need to be front and centre. But they said, well, um, the thing is, you're racing for 30000 in prize money. Uh, let's make sure that all your training partners who have helped you get there, let's make sure they have a bet first. So I thought, well, that's a bit selfish, but I understand where they're coming from. So for the one time in my life, I let the uh, let someone else take set of stage there. So they, I think the boys uh, took uh, many thousands out of the ring on that occasion. Yeah, they do indeed. It's a wonderful so, day of yours. 
Sam doesn't understand that sort of language of letting somebody else get on it. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, Leon, here we go again. Oh, even times like times, not in public. <laughs> now, you know, Jason, uh, uh, going back to the race, the, the horse racing, um, uh, it looks like the, the Caulfield Cup certainly is going to be without a crowd and uh, possibly the Melbourne Cup too. Great pity. Oh, it's tragic, isn't it? But that's just the reality of this ridiculous uh, situation we're living in at the moment with uh, coronavirus and COVID-19. Don't get me started on that. I'm living, we're living in a prison. We're allowed to go outside and exercise for an hour and then we've got to make our way back in. But um, uh, the reality will be that we're all going to be racing behind closed doors. So um, I take that on as a serious responsibility. Everyone does at Channel 7 and racing.com to make sure that we are the uh, we are the eyeballs, the lens that everyone will get to consume their uh, spring carnival. So we've got to make sure that we do an unbelievable job because it's everyone's going to be sitting at home. They can't attend um, Caulfield or Flemington and Mooney Valley. I mean, it's the hundredth running of the Cox Plate, and there's not going to be anyone there. It just breaks your heart, but it's a reality of what we're dealing with. So we've got to make sure that the television coverage goes to the next level this year. Yeah, and that's true. And, and by the way, I think they have lifted a bit, and uh, and you are a, a, a front and centre of all of that. So well done. You've just transferred from radio to television, absolutely seamlessly. So well done. It's terrific to see it. Oh, um, well, Jason, it's terrific to have you on and uh, on Sport and Life. And Sam Kakovich was uh, inst- he was the instigator of all this. So good on you, Sam. And well, Jason, it's great that he's. You're doing such a great job for uh, trying to restore an iconic uh, Victorian and Australian and a world event. Oh, it's well, thank you. It's well, called putting we'd back. Love, we'd love to call upon you guys uh, to to come up and do some sort of a uh, a podcast series up there in the in the lead up to it and get uh, you know George McNeil you've just touched on and Johnny Tolman has some wonderful stories. Uh, we'd love to hear from some of those uh, those people uh, through your podcast. So. Um, really appreciate giving some time to a sport that that, that I love and hopefully uh, that we can get the Australian public to fall back in love with. I've got a bit of a tip for you, Jason. Uh, you mentioned Johnny Tolman and you were talking about what's happened to the powder hall and they're letting guys in that can be off, you know, yeah. at mark of 80 or something. John yeah. Tolman's back in training. Oh, no. <laughs> he, he, he thinks he's a chance over there in Scotland. <laughs> By the way, Jason, have you got a budget for all this if we all turn up? Or yeah, we'll. we'll, we'll... <laughs> I, I think I think what the budget that I've allocated is the same budget you allocated to me. So I think we've got it perfectly organised. Oh, uh, well, uh, yes, all right. Print program. Okay. I've got it. Well, Johnny uh, Johnny Tolman's organised rooms for. Uh, for George McNeil and myself up there. So, uh, in fact, we, we organised it for this year, uh, but next year's the year. And uh, uh, no, no, we didn't organise it. Of course, it was his 50th running. That's the whole idea of him coming out. Uh, Jason, good luck to you with the uh, Over the Spring Carnival. I hope it, uh, it's a real whiz banger for you. And thanks very much for joining us on Sport and Life. Good on you, mate. And uh, just keep your eye on York over the, the next couple of nights. There's a horse there that's running in the Ebor. Navy with the white armband by the name of Pondus, who might just head out for the Melbourne Cup if it runs top three in the e-ball, which I think it will. So that might be one for the volatile uh, investment portfolio at around 50 to 1 in a Melbourne Cup. Oh. Uh. 
Look out! You, you, you've, set, you've set the wallet loose. We look forward to your company next time on Sport and Life.